We are glad to make all of our Jcast Network podcasts free for our listeners. However, they are not free to produce and host. Please consider making a donation to Jcast Network to help support our work by visiting jcastnetwork.org slash donate. Thanks for your support. You are listening to Pop Torah with Rabbi Iznopf and Olitsky, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Welcome to Pop Torah, the podcast where we look at pop culture from a Jewish perspective and look at Judaism through the prism of pop culture. As always, we are your hosts. I am Rabbi Michael Knopf. And I am Rabbi Jesse Olitsky. And today we have a couple of rabbis taking on a Christmas story. We are talking about Hulu's new film, newish film, The Happiest Season. Uh, Jesse, you want to tell us a little bit about The Happiest Season? Sure. Happiest Season stars Kristen Stewart and Mackenzie Davis, along with a great cast, Allison Brie, Aubrey Plaza, uh, Dan Levy, and tells a story of uh, a, a couple played by Kirsten Stewart and Mackenzie Davis. Uh, and uh, Mackenzie Davis's character, Harper, comes from a small C conservative family. Uh, she invites her girlfriend. Also also a big C conservative family, yes. I think. Yeah. Right, but I don't want you to think that they're part of the conservative movements like we right. are in Judaism. Um, she invites her girlfriend, Kirsten Stewart's character, Abby, to come to her family for Christmas. Uh, and then on the way to her family's home, she lets... Abby know that she's actually still in the closet with her family, that she has not come out to them. And the entire experience of celebrating the holiday together is this tension that um, Kirsten Stewart's character feels about why are you out in public with me when we're living in Pittsburgh, but why when we're in your conservative small town suburban community, do you revert back to this closeted individual just trying to please your parents? And if they love you, why won't you come out to them? The, the movie ends sort of with the culmination of her being outed by her sister and then actually coming out to her parents. Um, and in the end, her conservative father that was running for mayor of the town uh, in the post credit scenes shows that he's at his first pride march and rally pride parade with his family. Um, and that in and of itself is a beautiful happily ever after ending, I guess. But the movie deals with the, the tension of coming out to uh, her family and the fear that she will not be accepted and the willingness to, as a result, hide her true self and her true identity and how that also really affected and hurt her relationship with uh, Kirsten Stewart's character. Um, and uh, I acknowledge that as two straight cis men, we're probably not the best people to uh, review this movie and to give our hot takes on this movie. I want to invite my friends, uh, member of our congregation Bethel community here in South Orange, writer, activist, executive director of North Jersey Pride, and one of the great uh, family-friendly pride organizations in the state of New Jersey, CJ Prince, to join us for this podcast and to share her hot take on this movie and uh, many things that we'll talk about. Hey, CJ. Hey, Rabbi O. I'm thrilled to be here. Thanks so much for being here. So you saw the movie. Yes. I would love for you to start us off with sharing your thoughts about it. Did the happiest season make you happy? 
<laughs> but by the way, CJ is from Muncie, New York, and should take. Well, did it wasn't enough for two rabbis to review a Christmas movie. We needed to bring in the 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 yeshiva scholars from Muncie <laughs> to add their hot take on a Christmas movie as well. Yes, I don't know if I have the halachic uh, perspective on the movie, but. Um, but I, I will say, so I went into the movie with a little bit of trepidation because I had heard friends and, and people that I know, uh, people on Facebook, um, talking about the movie and saying, you know, it was kind of, you know, a throwback, um, to the eighties, like that we're still talking about, you know, that the movies about us are still about coming out. Um, and I think people have a hunger for other, you know, other themes, but I also think you know, there was a legit, um, are we allowed to give spoilers? Is that, is that? Oh, yes. Oh, we totally. are a spoiler, spoiler show. Okay, spoilers. So we'll, just um, say, we'll just say right here, we're going to give spoilers on this. If you haven't seen The Happiest Season yet, pause right here, watch The Happiest Season, then come back and listen. All right, now spoil away. Okay. So, so of course, um, uh, Harper, who was in the closet, you know, for the, for most of the movie, ends up with Abby at the end. And there was a great hue and cry about, you know, why didn't Harper wind up with Riley, the ex-girlfriend who was also out and, and sweet and kind and understanding. And they had seemed to have such a great connection. And I get that because, um, you know, really was, if you were somebody who lived through a period of being closeted like that, it was cringeworthy. Uh, maybe it was for everybody to see how um, badly Harper was treating Abby at, um, at her family's house. And so you kind of feel like, well, that's, in fact, I was watching the movie with my younger daughter, who's 11, and I was really letting fly with, you know, that's so inappropriate. Oh, that's terrible. You should never let anybody treat you like that. Um, but I, I will say that um, it really dredged up some memories of my uh, time in the closet and, and not just time in the closet, but time um, bifurcating myself. Um, you know, it's very hard to explain that to someone who hasn't lived that way for an extended period. But when you have two to people living in you um, who are not allowed to talk to each other. Um, it's, it's, it's really psychologically damaging in a way that you become almost um, callous to how you're treating both sides, you know? So when you, when you live that way and then um, you're so adept and careful at keeping the two worlds separately. If you combine them, it's kind of like a setup for disaster. So, I mean, I think it was an extreme example and, and the, her, the way she, I also was thinking how it's not a good excuse anymore. Maybe, and, I, and maybe it never was, but it was often the excuse for real cruelty, I think, on the part of, you know, people who are closeted toward other people. And almost like, you know, well, I couldn't come out so I had to do these things. And that's never, that was never a good excuse. And it's still not. It's about, you know, um, in the end, it's really about facing the demons. And more sympathetic, I could not be to people who are terrified that if they come out, they're gonna, there's gonna be wrath and fire. And, you know, because that was my fear, absolutely. And I was really moved by um, the character of uh, Abby's best friend, um, our shit's crazy. Dan Levy, yeah. <laughs> Mr. Dan Levy, yeah. Yeah, he, he gave a speech about that towards the end about, 
you know, trying to encourage Abby to see this not as something about herself or about their relationship, but Harper's uh, internal battle. And I, I was moved by it because he was describing the, the hugeness of the fear, like the enormity of it just before you say it, you know, like the, and when I was coming out, um, and stop me if I'm going on, no, but, please. but when I was coming out, so I, I was in the closet from, I knew for myself when I was around 17, 18, but, um, and then I slowly started coming out to my friends and the people closest to me outside of my family, but I waited another eight, nine years to come out to my parents because, um, I was absolutely terrified. I mean, and people now, you know, ask me after I, you know, what were you so afraid of? Like, what did you think they were going to do? It's not something you can really put into words. It's almost like the complete rejection of my being, you know, it's, and, uh, and that's terrifying when you're thinking about like parents, family, people who are supposed to, you know, love and, you know, you know, accept you no matter what. And I, uh, it took me, and the reason Dan Levy's speech got to me is when I was trying to come out, I, I did it on a Shabbat. I decided to go home for Shabbos because that would force me to do it because it's 25 hours we're spending together and they, we can't do anything else. And it was just going to be my parents and me alone in the house together. And I watching the clock tick by it's, you know, Friday night. Oh, now's not such a good time. Let's wait, you know, Saturday morning, I don't know, you know, let's have lunch. Then the afternoon comes and I just couldn't do it. You know, I just couldn't bring myself to do. And finally, you know, I had arranged this for weeks and it was, and was preparing for it. I was not going to let the opportunity go by. So my father went to shul for the last service for Marev and, um, I was alone with my mom and we were playing games. We're playing games and I am shaking. I am beyond, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm really from head to toe. And we, we're playing all these board games because that's what we do on, in Muncie on Chavez is play backgammon and Othello. So we're playing these games and we finish and my mom says, okay, so what do you want to play now? And I said, let's play true or false. And she said, okay, and I have no idea why that came out of my mouth. I, you know, so she said, well, how do you play that? And I said, well, that's where I tell you the truth. And she, I'm, I'm getting anxious just talking, telling this story. Um, and she, um, she said, okay, so tell me the truth. And she said it in such a way that I, I suspected she knew what was coming. Um, and my mother and I were close that aside. So my, my lying to her for eight years aside, but um, in my secretiveness, she knew me um, and still it, for, for a good, it seemed like hours, but maybe it was only 15 minutes. I could not get the words out. And finally, she just took my hand and she said, just say it. And I said, I'm gay. And she said, I know. <laughs> And I cry, I mean, I was bawling the whole time. Like I couldn't get the words, it was stuck right in my throat, you know? And when I finally said it, it was just otherworldly. It was just, you know, uh, a crazy, crazy moment. Um, like nothing I have ever experienced. And my mother cried and I cried and sure, you know, she, she said it was, 
you know, it's, it's the, the, the thing she expressed was how hard it was going to be for her that this dream of walking me down the aisle was, um, you know, not going to happen, um, which eventually it did happen. <laughs> but, um, but I, I, my dad came home and, um, and I, he was the one I was really more worried about. Um, and I didn't know what to expect. And she said, do you want me to tell him or do you want you want to tell him? And I said, what do you think? She said, I think, let me tell him and let him come to you. And I thought, oh boy, you know, this could be weeks. It could be months. I won't know how he feels. Um, and I'm going to have to see him. And, you know, meanwhile, I had arranged for my best friend, Shuli, to be at my house as close to after Shabbat as I could um, so that she could drive the getaway car and pick me up. Um, and so my father comes home and my mother says, well, wait upstairs and I'll talk to him. And I hear whispering down there and I'm terrified. And, um, and so she, so I go, so I'm upstairs and I hear footsteps on the stairs and I'm thinking, and it's his footsteps. I'm thinking he hasn't been to the second floor in years. Like I, I don't think I've ever heard those footsteps. And he comes up the stairs and he's calling my name and he comes in and he finds me. And I said, I'm in here. And he comes in and he just hugs me. And I, he said, how could you think I wouldn't love my best girl because of that? And, um, and now I'm gonna get all emotional, but I, uh, and he said, are you sure? And I said, yeah, I'm sure. And he said, I'm just sorry, you have such a difficult road ahead of you, um, but, but we're here, you know? And that was not at all what I was expecting, but, um, but it's sort of, it sort of underscored something that I was lucky to have in my family, which is, you know, my parents have, have my father especially lost his father um, when he was um, 11 and he's lost other uh, people in his life. So he, I think for him, family was most important. I don't think that's true for, you know, plenty of, of, of LGBTQ kids even now. And so I think going back to the movie, it's still so relevant. You know, I hate that it's relevant, but it, but it is um, because there are still people who are bifurcating and keeping their world separate and not integrating. And it's causing real emotional and psychological damage and damage to their relationship with the people they love. Thank you, CJ, for sharing your story with us, your coming out story. My pleasure. Yeah. I will say that it did, it didn't take the first time, you know, sometimes if you, I learned if you don't talk about being out for a while after you come out, it expires and you have to do it again. Um, but it was a little easier the second time. And it took them a while to then, you know, warm up to the idea and feel comfortable with it. But, and they didn't march in the pride parade. That was, that was a tad unrealistic in the movie. Um, but you know, that, that complete 180, but, um, but, but I will say that we, we, we lost my brother. My brother passed away. Um, he had cancer and he died in 2001. I had come out around 97. And I think when that happened, there was a real shift. You know, they had lost a child and they were not gonna lose another one. So, um, so there was that to help things along. And now, of course, um, I, they're 100% they're accepting. My family who lives in Israel is 100%, you know, everybody is, is there to support me. As, as I said, it was beautiful when uh, your daughter's bat mitzvah at Bethel, your father, right, set, set aside the, uh, 
the, the idea that you came out to him, uh, the fact that we're an egalitarian conservative synagogue or, and he, Davin de Muncie, that he still made sure that he had to give a l'chaim uh, at, at the Kiddush. It was, it was beautiful. Yeah, he, he needed to give a little Dvar Torah about how, you know, and that was a huge thing. That was, I mean, I, I've long said that my not being Orthodox was almost like the bigger hurdle than my being um, gay um, because, you know, that's just, that was just the harder thing for my dad. So that was really the very first time that our two religious worlds came together. And so that was pretty monumental as well. Um, but I was really glad that they had a chance to see that my belief system and my religious observance is not just the absence of theirs, but is an actual positive thing. I mean, there are things that I believe and that, you know, I, the reasons I'm part of the synagogue are, you know, because of things that you re believe Rabbi Olitsky. And I um, share those beliefs with a lot of other congregants. And it's the, the, the whole idea of welcoming all Jews, you know, and, and achdut, and, you know, bringing people together and acceptance. Those are all very important values for me. Those are Jewish values that I hold very dear. And so it was good that they had a chance to see that. So let, I wonder if we can drill down on that for a second. And so first of all, CJ, thank you so much. I echo what, uh, what, what Jesse said. I'm so grateful that you um, were willing to share that story with us. And um, just as it was uh, uh, choking you up to share it, it was, it was hard to keep my composure during listening to it. Um, really powerful. And I, you know, I, I wonder, um, you know, there's, there's a, um, a, a preponderance these days of, um, of stories, you know, of, of pieces of pop culture that are, you know, either directly connected to the experience that you just shared, not just the happiest season, but like particularly Jewish community, right? So uh, I'm reading a book now called Becoming Eve by, uh, by Abby, uh, Stein, I think her last name is about uh, um, uh, a Hasidic transgender woman. Um, she, uh, she spoke at our congregation. Oh, she uh, did. A couple wow. years ago. Yeah. Powerful. So the, the book is really extraordinary and, and powerful as well. And, um, but um, and so I haven't actually gotten to her, you know, full um, coming out story in it, but just kind of hearing her early experiences. Um, but even thinking about things like. Uh, unorthodox on Netflix, which we discussed, Jesse and I discussed uh, uh, earlier in the year, and uh, even even Stissel, right? Th these experiences of you know um, revealing who you are to a community that is that uh, for whom it's so far outside of their um, perspective and vantage point. And I wonder, you know, are your parents uniquely enlightened? Uh, uniquely loving, or do you think that the pop culture gets it wrong, right? And actually, um, there's 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 far more people within, you know, um, uh, traditionally observant communities like your parents um, that that are, you know, maybe surprisingly um, accepting of of, uh, of of who their children are. Well, that's. A really good question and um you know i can't say anything definitively or you know because i i know there's so many different stories but i do sense that there is more acceptance than than pop culture makes it out to be and i think that's partly our fault in the community because um <clears throat> like 
for example, when I was um, in Columbia graduate school, I had to do my, uh, I did my master's thesis on homosexuality in the Orthodox Jewish community. And um, that was a long time ago. That was uh, 1994. So um, that was the, but even then, I was able to find an Orthodox rabbi, Avi Weiss, Rabbi Avi Weiss, who was, who took a very, a much more empathetic view um, that was surprising compared to the other, the other people I had spoken with. And I remember hearing him say, you know, behind closed doors, rabbis are a lot kinder and gentler um, than than they appear to be when they're giving their, you know, when they're being posek and, you know, tell, saying what the what the official line is. Um, and I believe that's true still today, where I, I think that that there is more going on behind the scenes. It's unfortunate that they have to keep this line, you know, this public position that we reject, you know, because that's what makes, that's what keeps that fuel alive. And that's what makes kids so terrified. Um, I didn't, I assumed that my parents would reject me. I had a lifetime of, of being loved by them and, and, and feeling that that was genuine, but not having any idea whether they would choose me or, or the culture or the, or the religious doctrine. And I thought it was a choice between the two and it really wasn't. And so I think, I think it's really, a, it's, they're both right, I guess. And I do think that unfortunately, there's a lot of people who still reject, but I, I personally, this is my personal opinion, I don't think it's because of the religion. I think, um, I think they, they would reject regardless because it's not, they're not comfortable with it. There's plenty of reasons that people are homophobic, but I don't think it's necessarily just because of that. Right. I think that I think that it's worth noting, right, that that, you know, homophobia, transphobia, you know, endures within uh, conservative Jewish communities, within reformed Jewish communities, you, you know, and uh, and, I, and I think that that, um, you know, brings me to, to my question. This is kind of an open question, which is, you know, what what can all of us do? I think I think about this as a as a parent. So, you know, as parents, what can we do to ensure that um, our children, you know, I, I watching the happiest season to your point that you made you know, made me feel like I, I can't believe in 2020 it's even a, a thing anymore that kids need to come out to their parents that like straight kids don't have to come out to their parents right and so you know how can how can we as parents uh, nurture environments in which our children feel embraced and loved for whoever they are um, and also how can we build communities where where everybody truly feels included and and welcome um, that there isn't an insider outsider dynamic to to even to begin with right that's um, that's a great question and thank you for asking it um, I think that being vocal is the biggest is the biggest thing um, for parents, um, I think always presenting the option, um, you know, like for example, when you grow up and you get married to a man or a woman, you know, blah, blah, blah. In, in my case, you know, my, my older daughter, well, she, he, she said, I think it's gonna be a man. I said, okay, <laughs> I love you anyway. Um, <laughs> but um, no, I mean, it's, you know, they'll make it known because you actually have no influence. And I think unfortunately there are still so many well-meaning straight parents who actually think there's a belief in there that if I present it to as an option, it, it's more likely that they'll choose that. 
And I'm here to say, <laughs> no one ever presented it as an option to me. In fact, it was, you know, absolutely the opposite. And there, there is no, there's no study that suggests that there's no, there's no proof. It, we just are who we are, you know, and we're just born that way, in my opinion. So suggesting that it's an option, like, so, like making it a choice that, you know, you might end up making, uh, and I, I, sorry, choice is the wrong word, because it's not a choice, but I'm saying we will find out at some point as you become yourself, who you are and who you would choose to be with, but, but letting them know very early on that either one is fine. And, and that, and if it, if it means having to bring up other um, celebrities who are and say, oh, isn't it, it nice that so-and-so got married to his, you know, new husband or, you know, whatever it is, stating that it's okay goes huge distance for kids. And as far as the larger community, I think um, same, same thing, you know, being, making it visible using that as an example, um, raising it, um, you know, in June, but in, in other times as well, um, that, that it's, you know, whenever you're talking about minorities or, or different kinds of people, just making sure to be inclusive. You know, um, we were watching as a part of our, our family movie night over, over the weekend, we were watching The Prom on Netflix, um, a musical that, uh, I'll put it out there. Mike did not want to watch or, or review because he hates musicals and is not a fan of Meryl Streep. You can add him uh, on Twitter. <laughs> I think but, I think the first thing is a little extreme, and the second thing uh, was was really just you know trying to get a rise out of Jesse. Uh, I, I I could not say uh, more positive about Miss Meryl Streep. I think that she is the white Viola Davis. Uh, she is uh, she's extraordinary. Um, anyway, so we're watching it and I, I like to think that, um, in what we say to our children, um, we are very careful to make sure that they know, uh, CJ saying exact language that you said, um, well, one day when, uh, you have a girlfriend or boyfriend, um, you know, very keeping open-ended and allowing them permission to embrace their identities once they come to terms with whatever their identities are and that they'll be lovingly and accepted by us. So this movie, The Prom, talks about a, a, an out high school student in middle of America, Indiana, uh, whose prom is canceled because she wants to bring her girlfriend. And our 10-year-olds asked us while we were watching it, will you still love us if one of us is gay? And I was taken aback only because I would have thought that that would have been obvious to them um, because of all that we stress to them and teach them, right? Our, our kids have been to every pride parade and rally and the North Jersey Pride Festival, CJ, that you put on uh, every year. Uh, our, our youngest had a, a pride onesie that, that, that she wore as a baby and, um, they still needed to ask that question and be reassured. Uh, and so I, I sort of wonder, even when we present that we will love you and accept you and embrace you, um, your full self, there, there still may be that, do you think there's still that doubts, right? That, that, that fear. Um, well, 
Absolutely, there are doubts. Um, and I would just say that kudos to you that you created an environment in which um, your child would vocalize that, would, would say it out loud, because I guarantee you that any child who suspects they might be, or just is thinking about it as, as a possibility, they are thinking it. They're just not saying it. They're thinking, will, will my parents still love me? And I think that goes back to, we're not living in a world where it's okay to be gay. Um, you know, it's, it, it's okay, it's better, it's more okay than it was, but we still have plenty of politicians who would love to put in place legislation to curb our rights. And uh, we have rampant homophobic language use in schools, in, in middle school, and I know in my kid's school, and I hear this um, from friends in as young as, you know, fourth grade saying the most horrific things about, you know, their slurs, um, you know, gay, queer slurs. And I mean, it's, it's heartbreaking, but when you're a child and you are witness to that, whether you're the object of it or not, you witness it, you realize, oh, it's a bad thing to be gay. So it doesn't matter how much positivity we try to throw at them. They know that underneath there are people who hate gay people and otherwise they wouldn't say those things. Um, so I think that goes back to being proactive about telling your kids that it's fine, that it's okay. And, and not, as you said, you, you not assuming, right? Because you can't assume because what they're hearing elsewhere is giving them the sense that this is not, this is suboptimal. It would be much better if I was straight. And so that leads them to the thought, well, but will I still be loved? But, you know, can you still love me? Right. Which is so sad. Well, I, I, I mean, that goes back to the conversation that you were raising before CJ about, uh, you know, about the happiest season in the first place. And I think, the, you know, the prom raises this too, is, you know, is, is Hollywood doing a disservice to um, our kids by, you know, by, by emphasizing, you know, these coming out narratives um, and, and, you know, and, and uh, um, you know, perpetuating a sense among uh, among you know subsequent generations that like this is still a thing or is it I mean is it actually is it still a thing and you know we, our kids should be mindful of it and there there is a bit the, the sea change is not so much you know that there shouldn't be coming out stories anymore but that the coming out stories have happy endings this one I'm not sure because it was such a 180 at the end that it really was almost like counter logical if that's a right word. And I, i'm i'm in, i'm personally in the camp that i wish uh, that kristen stewart's character ended up with uh, aubrey plaza's character <laughs> in the end that that would have been a satisfying conclusion for me but i could be in the minority part of the yeah. issue is that kristen stewart isn't a very good actress but we'll put that aside ooh, ooh, ooh. hot take well, I would say that um, I agree with that. I think that that would have shown that there are consequences to not finding your courage to be, be who you are, to be authentic. I, I don't think that would have been a bad thing to show that there are consequences to that. But that said, back to your original question, I would love to see Hollywood focus more on other kinds of stories about where, where it's just assumed that it's fine. And the reason I say that is not because I want to whitewash or pinkwash or say that there's not, there, that, that children or young people are, or older people are not suffering from homophobia and, and, and difficulty coming out. It's just that we know that. <laughs> we, and I think that younger people would really benefit them to not, um, to not, I guess, 
to see more of the positive of what when it gets better, here's what it's going to look like. And I understand that they wrapped up the movie in a nice bow at the end. And so here's what it could look like. But I think even, you know, you feel that it's not like the, the, the most natural ending. Um, so, um, so having something that's maybe more um, realistic, I don't know. I think, I think it would be great to have more positive stories about gay people. CJ, I, I want to acknowledge that there are still organizations, right, that um, I know North Jersey Pride works with, that Bethel we've worked with. There's the Hendrick Martin Institutes. There's the Essex LGBT Rain Foundation, these organizations um, based out, out of Newark that provide resources and counseling and shelter uh, for um, homeless LGBTQ youth, many of whom have been forced to leave their homes. I mean, I think what was so powerful about Dan Levy's uh, monologue at the end of the film, which you reference, was when, when he speaks out to Kristen Stewart and he's like, tell me about your coming out story. And she was like, oh, my, my family loved me. And they said, you know, they'll love me no matter what. And he said, my family kicked me out of the house, uh, essentially. Um, and how everybody's coming out experience is different. And we still have to have organizations like RAIN, like HMI here in New Jersey, uh, because even if and when, as our organizations try to be more inclusive and welcoming and supportive to uh, our LGBTQ youth, there are families that may not be, and we need these organizations that will provide services to to make them feel safe and make them feel at home. Um, with that in mind, I wanted to ask you, uh, Mike, as the rabbi of Temple Bethel in Richmond, me as the rabbi of Congregation Bethel in South Orange, New Jersey, and, and all of our colleagues who are listening, what can synagogues, what can religious institutions do to make sure that we're not just uh, condoning each person who walks through our doors, but truly celebrating them as a way of accepting them? Well, I think um, uh, going back to um, inclusive language, um, making sure that, you know, documents are, uh, include, uh, um, you know, um, uh, gender binary or, or non, excuse me, non-binary language, um, making sure that, uh, you know, same-sex couples are welcome, and that it, that's obvious on language on on the website and on in literature, and, and also in speaking and and featuring um, LGBTQ people in you know uh, positions, you know, um, public more public positions, I guess, or uh, speakers um, bringing people in to talk about the you know their life history. Um, I think that and using those examples. And also when we, you know, in the weekly uh, drosh talking about, um, you know, if something went on that week that was sort of an anti-LGBTQ thing or, or pro to mention it and to highlight it, um, all of that visibility, I can't tell you how much it means to um, the community, community members to hear, to see themselves. You know, that was, that was the biggest challenge for me growing up. And I know for so many other people, especially 80s, 90s, but even today, you know, just not seeing yourself, you're not represented and you can't possibly feel included if you don't see yourself. Um, so there's that mirroring that's so important. And 
Um, I'm sure there's many other ways that, and you know, in, in, at, uh, at Congregation Bethel in South Orange, we have pride flags and, and transgender flags hanging all year long. You know, it's not just a, not just a June thing, but um, that right there is sort of a signpost. We really are accepting because we're willing to put our, uh, you know, our, our money where our mouths are. Um, you know, I know that there's a study that came out of the University of Washington. And this was something that when I heard Rabbi Steve Greenberg speak for the first time, uh, the first openly gay Orthodox rabbi, this really stood out to me that he said this study of the University of Washington talks about depression and attempted suicide rates among youth. And they're way too high across the board in this country. But he mentioned how much higher they are among LGBTQ youth, specifically trans youth. And what the study suggests is that when one feels that they're supported and loved by their family members, by their teachers, by their friends, by their clergy, they're actually no more anxious or depressed than any other child their age. Th those numbers of depression among our, our youth are still way too high, but they're the same level as um, they would be in, in the study suggests among their, their straight peers. Well, that actually makes a, a ton of sense because you know there's there's one one thing I want to say that I often think of the LGBTQ minority as like sort of the very a very unique minority in that chances are you are the only one in your family who is in that minority. Um, chances are, if you're transgender, there you don't have a transgender sibling or parent or cousin or I mean you may, but it's not likely. Um, uh, so it, you don't have that just built in support. Like if you're Jewish, you're in my minority, but so is your whole family, you know? So we're all sort of in this together. You're not in this together with your family. In fact, you're immediately feeling separate and opposite. And so I think that contributes to a lot of that. And then you hear, you know, the homophobic language in schools and that, that compounds it. So if you are hearing positive language and support and embracing going further than just not being negative, but being going the extra mile to be positive about it, that is going to make a huge difference in a child's life. You know, I feel this as, um, you know, as Jesse said at the beginning, as a, you know, as a, a, a straight cisgender man, um, you know, I'm, I'm still in a process of, of growth and learning about, um, uh, about this myself and uh, about how to um, create the most uh, nurturing um, and supportive environment, uh, inclusive environment that, uh, that, that I possibly can. And, um, and so, you know, uh, I do, I try to do uh, a lot more listening than speaking um, although of course speaking uh, is an outgrowth of the listening um, that I do on on this subject, but ensuring that you know I'm hearing from uh, from people whose uh, backgrounds and perspectives and uh, orientations are different from my own, what would um, be uh, what would create the most you know welcoming and uh, inclusive environment for them, right? And so, um, so all of the things that you mentioned, you know, uh, it, it never occurred to me, I think before, I don't know, uh, certainly before I was uh, uh, in the rabbinate, um, uh, but, uh, but, you know, earlier in my life, 
um, you know, that, um, uh, that, you know, it was a blind spot that LGBT people weren't represented in synagogue literature, right? There was no language, no images um, that, that, you know, rabbis were not speaking about uh, inclusion from the Bima. And um, so it, it just, it, it goes to show, you know, we have come, um, you know, as, uh, as, as a Jewish community, certainly within the conservative, uh, conservative movement, you know, the, the uh, change has been uh, fairly swift and, uh, and, 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 um, and significant. Um, but we've, uh, you know, we're, uh, we've come uh, a, a far away, uh, I think, on, on this issue. And I think we still have a, a ways to go before all of our communities um, uh, reflect what uh, Congregation Bethel looks like, what we strive to do here also at Temple Bethel uh, in, in Richmond um, uh, to, to ensure that we're the kind of communities and the kind of environments that, um, that, that you're describing. Well, thank you, CJ, so much for joining us for this conversation, for sharing your coming out story with us and for sharing insight of on what we in the Jewish community can do more of and what each of us in our own homes and families can do more of to show our children that we love them and we love their full selves. Well, thank you. And thank you so much for having me and for, for having this conversation as this is, this is part of the healing. So thank you. Thank you so much for being here with us. And until next time, I am Rabbi Jesse Olitsky. And I am Rabbi Michael Knopf. Have a happy new year, everyone. We are very much looking forward to end this terrible, terrible 2020. And God willing, 2021 will be full of much light and many blessings for all of us. Amen. Amen.